jumper on the way. Good! Tyus Battle nails the three! Dungey leaps and into the end zone for Dungey. A touchdown! If that's not on every highlight show tonight, then I, I don't know who's watching. Powered for Dungey! Soaring through the air! High-flying Slovakian! Screen pass here, he'll get one. And he stays alive and he's got room to the 10. One man to beat, he'll do it. Touchdown, Syracuse! And for Syracuse, party time. The upset, pulled by the Orange. They defeat Clemson 27 to 24. The penetration, step back. Oh, a pressure bucket for Tyus Battle. This is Orange Nation with Stephen Fonte and Seth Goldberg, powered by Drivers Village and Hummel's Office Plus. Good afternoon, everyone. Glad to have you with us. Alongside Seth Goldberg, I'm Stephen Fonte. It's a Monday edition of Orange Nation. 315-437-7644 is the number. If you'd like to get involved, you can also text us at 315-288-0644. We're hoping to catch up with Adrian Autry at 1230s. We do every Monday uh, to talk some Q's basketball. We'll get into what Seth mentioned in the update. Will Greer not going to play at quarterback for West Virginia in the bowl game against Syracuse. That means the Mountaineers will be down at least two offensive stars. They're also down uh, their uh, their Big 12 offensive lineman of the year as well in that game. Will Greer not going to play, and there could be others to follow. We'll talk week 14 of the NFL season, but we do begin with SU basketball. And Seth, if if that's indeed the last Syracuse Georgetown game we get for a while, that's a pretty good one to end on. Brissett, the inbounder, to Hughes on the left sideline. Battle, they clear out. Clock frozen. Now it goes. It's at six. It's at five. Battle, 15 footer. Yes, for the lead. 72 71. Two and a half seconds to go. Tyus Battle drops one on G Town. Pearl Washington and Jerry McNamara, eat your heart out. <laughs> Tyus Battle's done it again. Kid's pretty clutch, isn't he? He does he, he does this every time, doesn't he? It feels like every big shot that Syracuse needed last year, he was taking, obviously. Uh, his freshman year, when there were more than enough options on that team offensively, he hit a big shot, particularly in that Clemson game that I'm remembering. Um, every time they need a basket, he's the guy to do it. It's, it's amazing. He's got a knack for making that shot, too. Uh, more often than not, he's going to hit the shot when you need it. The uh, Michigan State game. Uh, TCU, Arizona State, uh, you know, this year already against Georgetown, obviously, in in the Ohio State game. When they need a bucket, he's the guy to do it, and he's going to make it. I said this uh, after the game on Saturday. I feel like Patrick Ewing did them a favor by pressing because it created an unsettled situation for one of the best shot makers in the country. Um, And it allowed him to, to get a running start. Um, and, and I know why they did it. Here's the thing. If there's five seconds left, I think the press plays to your advantage. I think with 10 or more, and there was just a shade over 10 seconds left, I think it actually helped Syracuse out. They were allowed to get the ball. You know, Hughes got, caught the inbounds pass, got it to battle, and then you have an unsettled situation, and you've got an NBA player going to work one-on-one in the open court, and he's shown a knack for knocking down that shot. So, you know, I'm not saying Patrick Ewing lost him the game, but I think he did Syracuse a favor by putting on the full-court press. 
Yeah, I, I thought that was interesting. I, I mean, I, I get why you do it. You want to create problems and you want to make it more difficult to get the ball up court. I, I understand that Plenty part of, of time, it. though. Ten but, and a half seconds. Oh, no, I know. There, there was plenty of time to get up court. But I, I think the thing that you don't want to do in that situation, if you're playing defense, is sit back and let them roll the ball up to half court so that they have ten seconds in the front court, right? Because then you then you can really, you know, then, then you can... Uh, you know, maneuver something and essentially have something drawn up. The thing that I thought was interesting was hearing after the game where Tyus wasn't necessarily the first option and that that was, you know, maybe supposed to be drawn up for, for Elijah Hughes and then things just kind of broke the right, the right way and the ball got into Tyus Battle's hands. And I, you know, I, I get what's going on there because you have such a belief that Georgetown's going to do everything they can to take Tyus Battle away. And, and Elijah Hughes, don't get me wrong, had a good second half in his own right and, and was a hot shooter. I, I would imagine you want Tyus with the ball there. Can I say this about, and I heard the, the same quote from Jim Behan that, that you heard. Can I say this, though, about that? Yeah. So, Pearl's game-winning shot against Georgetown, Jim Beheim has said that, that Pearl was not the, the initial ball. option, and Pearl, as they're breaking the timeout, said, Coach, I'll make it, give me the ball, and then you know Jim Beheim's, oh, okay, okay, get, you know, get Pearl the ball, and he goes one-on-one, and he knocks down the shot. Tyler Ennis wasn't supposed to get the ball, which uh, we all know. The the UConn game down at Madison Square Garden, 2006, Big East Tournament. Jerry, you know, it was one of those, well, of course they're going to double-team Jerry. He's not going to be an option, so let's draw something else up. I have to imagine that this is along the same lines of, well, they're not going to let Tyus touch the ball. So, Elijah, all right, you flash, you get, you know, and then you set up the play from there. But it's kind of like, well, yeah, if Jerry's open, get him the ball. Well, if, if Tyus is open, get him the ball and let him see what he can do. But he's not going to be open. And this was a case where, you know, if you're going to press, don't you double-team Tyus Battle oh, and to. make sure he doesn't touch the ball? You don't you double-team Jerry McNamara if you're UConn? You know, don't you find a way if you're Georgetown back in the day to make sure Pearl doesn't get his his hands on the ball? I think, you know, when I hear Jim Bam say that, I immediately thought of those other, you know, game-winning shots when it's, well, yeah, okay, well, if he's open, get it to him, but he's not going to be open. And Tyus just happened to be open, and that's why I said I think Georgetown did them a favor to some degree by pressing, and you get him the ball, it's an unsettled situation, and, you know, advantage battle as he's crossing half court. It's advantage battle. He's got the guy on the run, um, and, you know, he pulls up, and, and he always did, seems to make that shot. Did you have any doubt that that shot was going no. in? No. Because I I was sitting there, and I, I the seat that I had was right behind the basket, so... You know, I knew the shot was online, but as soon as I saw him pull up at the free throw line, I was like, oh, this is good. You know, I I, I had no doubt with Tyus Battle, and, and it's this weird, I mean, that's like a weird feeling to have, isn't it? And and I guess it's because of how many times he has done this, and I, I listed him off before. I mean, this is, this is what, the sixth, like, ice, game icing, game clinching shot? You know, if not a game winner, obviously he had the buzzer beater at... And and this one against Georgetown, but you, you ice games throughout the tournament run last year and the game How about against that Florida, Ohio State, he had like, like three of them in the Florida State game right, alone last year, right? You know, and and it, it just it feels like he's just got such a knack for this that at this point, like he pulled up for that shot of the elbow, and I was like, that's going in. Like I had no doubt. He's clutch. I mean, the kid is clutch, and I mean, it was a, an amazing second half performance. You know, he struggled in the first half. Everybody struggled in the first half. I did find it amusing. You know, Tyus was asked, you know, what did what did Coach Sadie at halftime? So I I don't think I can really repeat everything he said to me. <laughs> uh, something along the lines of you know, go out and be better in the second half. And he was better. He took the game over. What he had five points at halftime, finished with twenty six, including yeah. the game winner. Impressive, impressive stuff in that second half. Yeah, I mean he was incredible and and it wasn't like uh it wasn't like oh this all just came on late. I mean he came out of the halftime break and took over. He scored uh you know I I I 
brought this up earlier, but what was it? He scored like seven of the first 11 points of the half for Syracuse. Something in that range, in that territory. And he was doing everything. He had a three. He got to the basket. He shot free throws. Like, he was doing everything right out of the gate. Ten in of the, the first half. 14, according the, to my notes. All right. So, ten of the first 14. So, I was in the in the ballpark. Uh, you know, that he he just took over the game. It, it wasn't even like... Um, it wasn't like the typical, oh, you look up and he's at 20. Like, no, it was very obvious what he was doing coming out of the halftime break. The other thing that, that really changed from the first half to the second half was the tempo of the game. And I think this is something we can spend some time on today because, you know, last year's team, let's be honest, last year's team needed to play slow in order to win, right? They needed the game to be in the, the 50s and 60s in order to win, in, in order to beat good teams, right? They needed it to be... 65-61 right. to beat good teams. This team seems to be at its best when they're playing faster. And Jim Beham alluded to that afterwards. He said, you know, it's one of the things he told Frank that he's got to play faster. He's got to, you know, they they've got to increase the tempo. You look at the fast break points in this game. Syracuse had two fast break points in the, in the first half. Had 12 in the second half, including a flurry like right to start that second half. You know, Elijah Hughes got out in transition, Brissett got out in transition, Battle got out in transition. They were running and they closed that gap very quickly. Yeah. And they needed to because they're down 13. And the longer Georgetown has that double digit lead, if they could shorten the game, now all of a sudden it, you know, it gets more and more difficult as the game goes on to come back. They erased that deficit, it felt like immediately. And all of a sudden you're back within one, two possessions. And you feel like, okay, there's 13, 14 minutes left on the clock. This, you know, it's a brand new game, anybody's game from here on out. That was the, the first five minutes of the second half, I thought, you know, were the key to this game, you know, aside from a couple of big shots down the stretch. But, in terms of the first 35 minutes of the game, the, you know, the key to the first 35 minutes was that stretch coming out of the locker room. No, you're you're absolutely right. And as far as the tempo goes, I mean, they got up and they and they ran in transition, and I thought that was really big. Um, you know, at, at this point, Jalen Carey does that better than Frank Howard. Uh, I mean, at, at this point, I'm I'm not saying that's what's going to happen, but Frank uh, Jalen Carey played 16 minutes in the second half. He played a lot in the second half. And he's a guy who's going to push the tempo, and he's going to you know move it up and down field. Um, and and I think that's exactly what we saw. Uh, Jalen Carey was kind of pushing the tempo. He he was pushing Tyus and Elijah to to get out and transition, and they did. And you know what? The, you you look at the team, not just the transition points. Like they were moving faster in the half court offense. The passes were crisper. They were going to the basket. They you know they they were moving with. Uh, like a greater sense of urgency, so to speak, in the second half. And look, there's good reason for it. They were down 13 points. They they had to move with a greater sense of urgency. But we hadn't seen like that kind of tempo. Like when I, when I talk about the tempo of this team, I'm not just talking about ah, eh, well, get out and transition. Like they can move in the half court, and they did that in the second half too. I, I think I think that that's what you want to see out of this team. You want to see them driving and 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 moving the ball around with with some kind of urgency. And, and in the first half, that wasn't there. I think we saw two unsung heroes in this game. Obviously, Tyus was the hero. Two unsung heroes, Jalen Carey. I think he hit the nail on the head with that one. He came off the bench. I thought he stepped up in a big way. Had four assists, three points, three rebounds. The the three points he had, it came the on huge, that huge three, three that you know hit the rim, hit the backboard, rattled around, somehow went down. But that was a big shot. Had a block at the other end uh, when no, Georgetown had a, had an open look at a three. Those were back to back, back to back hit plays. The three, then blocked the three at I, the other end. I thought he did some really good things uh, in twenty three minutes of action. He was an unsung hero. Obviously, Merrick, I think, was the unsung hero with the charge. He always finds himself in the right place at the right time. I think Pascal 
in the second half. He played half. well. He played a, I thought he played a really good second half. Uh, you know, he, he stayed on the court for a long time. He didn't come out of the game until he fouled out in the second half. Uh, you know, he played the first 17 minutes of the half. He had, uh, in, in the half, he had eight points, uh, a block, a rebound. I, I thought that he played a pretty, I thought that he played a pretty big role. Um, you know, whether it was him being more comfortable in the pick and roll game, him being more aggressive defensively, whatever it was, I thought he played well in the second half. He did. Um, the reason I didn't put him under the category of unsung heroes. A lot of what he does, listen, he had eight points, two of them in particular, two of his baskets, so half of his points were set up by other guys. Brissett had a great pass to him, Jalen Carey had a great yep. pass to him, and he was able to finish. Um, he only had three rebounds. Again, and I'm not, He it was a step forward for him. It was. He played better than he has. He's He's got to continue to play even better, though, than that. He does. Um, especially against a Georgetown team that out-rebounded Syracuse by 11. He, he's got to come up with more than three rebounds. But I, I thought he certainly took a, t- a step forward. Frank Howard, even though Frank wasn't out there all that much, he looked a little better too. He got to the basket twice. He had two uh, two baskets on the game. Both of them were, were finishing at the rim. He had four steals. He had some really silly fouls um, and some ticky tack fouls. And he got in foul trouble. And he just you know that that kind of derailed his day. But I thought it was an encouraging sign to, to see him get to the basket. Now to your point. And I think you're right on, by the way. Right now, the team is moving a little faster with Jalen Carey out there running the show. I think that's going to come with for Frank, though. And I think we saw a step forward. Jalen stepped up, played some really big minutes. Um, you know, I, we talked about that on the pregame show, Danny Shays and I, uh, about Frank. And I saw it early, and I, I'm not sure what you thought of this, but there was a play early in the game. I think it was in the first half. Frank goes to the basket, gets for a charge. And I, I looked at that play, and I said he didn't make a shot. And he got called for an offensive foul, but I thought that play was a game changer for him. And the way that Danny and I talked about it on the pregame show is I thought it was going to be very obvious when Frank Howard felt comfortable. I thought it was going to be painfully obvious when Frank Howard felt right, everybody in the world was going to know because you were going to see him finally go to the basket. And so he goes to the basket and he gets called for that charge. And it felt like the first time that he was really banging bodies and he got up and he walked off the court and he was fine. And and from then on, Ian, he was going to the basket and he was more aggressive. And and so I think that you kind of have to do it once to make sure that you're good. Like, if you get in a car accident, you probably get a little skittish going where you got in the car accident until, like, you drive past it three or four times and then you're like, yeah, hey, I'm good. I'm, I'm all right here. And I think that that's kind of what happened. Like, Frank finally went to the basket and, and, and got up and walked away clean. And he was like, all right. I can do this now. And then and then it kind of changed the way that the game went because he finally went to the basket, penetrated, got got some layups and kicked and made some kickout passes. I think that changed the game and will change kind of moving forward what this team can do. I didn't love that call on Frank. I didn't um, either. I, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. Um, the defender kind of slid under him. That was a tough call. I thought the, his fourth foul, right after he picked up his third foul, the fourth foul on the rebound, I mean, it was a good call. He fouled him, but again, just kind of a soft call. Um, and it was unfortunate because I, I'm with you. I, I saw some encouraging signs out of Frank on Saturday. They're, they're going to need him. You know, to get back to 100%, obviously. But they dodged a bullet. They they dodged a bullet in a big way. They were down 13 at halftime. They probably, it, like it felt it like to me, worse. It, they should have been down 20. The yeah. way that they played in that first half, they should have been down 20. And they were fortunate to, quote-unquote, only be down 13. And then you can't, to come out of the locker room the way they did, and, and as I said, they erased that deficit, and then you felt like, all right, th- this is a ball game now. I was going to say, you know, kind of, kind of throwing a bow on this, we... I don't think it's possible to understate how incredible that second half was. 
Because Georgetown they scored fifty points. Because Georgetown played a pretty decent half of basketball. They shot forty percent from the field. They shot forty percent from three. They put up thirty six points. Like that's a very, you know, a very good, very representative half of college basketball. And Syracuse erased a thirteen point deficit and took a lead and won the game. I mean, Syracuse played an incredible half of basketball to win that game. How good is Jesse Govan, by the way? I thought he was good before, and I walked away even more impressed with him. His ability to to hit the outside shot uh, that was uh, that was unexpected. I mean, I, I thought know, he would take like one or two. I know and he, he can. I know he can make it. that shot, but man, he. I mean, he went two for three on threes, including just some big time shots. Hit that one with just about two minutes to go. Put Georgetown up sixty eight, sixty seven. Then he comes down and hits the you know a minute later and makes it seventy one seventy with another three. You know, two biggest shots of the game from a Georgetown perspective. Jesse Govan stepping out and taking threes. Um, he's. He's terrific. You know, Adrian Autry said he's probably the best center in the country. Hard to argue after seeing him up close yeah. and personal. And he's a great um, and he's a great fit for the next level. But aside from he is. Um aside from battle shot, you know, you could say the play of the game was Dolajai drawing that charge with, with ten Could and a half to go. More. You know, Can, Georgetown as Jim Bayon mentioned in the postgame, Georgetown went a little bit too soon. Um but it was there was still what it was about a five second differential between shot clock and game. I mean, they had to had to go. I mean, maybe he went a couple seconds too soon. But Dolajai steps up, gets the charge. That was a bang bang play. Um, it really could have gone either way. You watch it in slow motion. It could have gone either way. But they called the charge. Great play by Dolajai, and then uh, sets up the heroics from Tyus Battle. Three one five four three seven seventy six forty four. Yes, Seth. Uh, I want to throw in a little uh, news update here. Uh, Andre Schmidt named first team All ACC. All all American. Sorry, by all the American AP. by the first AP. team. All American. Uh, yeah, it's all the kid does is make it's been a, it's make, been a while. Uh, make his field goals. It's been a while since Syracuse has had one of those. Dwight yeah. Freeney. I would I would imagine first team All American. I would imagine probably the last one, right? That's what I've been seeing. Yeah, it's got to be. That's I mean, good for him. I mean, he just all he did was make kicks. Led, led the country in points. I mean, it's it's hard to argue with that. Uh, we do need to take our first time out, but phone lines are open uh, the entire way today. We're hoping to track down Adrian Autry at some point, but we want to hear from you at 315-437-7644. Back after this on ESPN Radio. Our take on the day's top stories. It's today's business on Orange Nation. It's brought to you every day by Grossman St. Amour CPAs. What do you have for us today, Seth? Uh, let's start in Miami. We already heard the Spanish radio call. As I, I teased and joked, uh, this might be one instance where the English version is is better. Um, let's start with Miami. And this is real. Uh, the, the, listen to what they say at the beginning. It's it's some weird uh, prognostication here. New England's got Gronkowski down here. Yeah, Gronkowski uh, standing at about the 15-yard line. He can tackle anybody. I don't know why he's I, back there. I think, well, I know why. Knock they it throw down. it up. They throw it up in the air. He knocked it down. It. That's exactly why. Tannehill, last shot, back to throw. They throw it down. They try to pitch it, and they do to Parker. Parker pitches it. And it's great, great. 20, the count's going to tackle. Oh, no way! He got in the end zone. What the hell? Unbelievable. Are you kidding me? That is unbelievable. I don't believe what I just saw. 
And none of us listening have any idea what you no, just saw either no because idea. you didn't describe it to us. <laughs> no, I have no idea. But I, I like the little, uh, the, the little why is Gronk on the field? And then, of course, that's the biggest part of that play. Tannehill, Parker, laterals, touchdown. I mean, that, <laughs> he didn't describe the any pa- of the play. The Patriots call was far better. What he sees in front of him, a field of defensive backs and a hawking tight end who stands at the 15-yard line. Tannehill throws down the middle, caught by Stills, laterals back to Butler, or rather Parker, who flips it to Drake. He runs across before he's doing it, angling inside oh, to the 30, 25, <laughs> 20, 15, 10. He's going to win the full race to the end zone. The Dolphins are going to win it on the lateral. Once, then twice, and Drake takes it in. And the Patriots stand stunned in disbelief. Much better job. I like I like the analyst who who once he gets to like the twenty, he just goes, "Oh Jesus!" He he realizes, and and I I think everybody kind of had that realization when when Drake catches it, he's looking to throw it to somebody else, and he's looking for that next guy, and then he just like turns his head towards the end zone and realizes there's nobody in front of him. It picked up Gronk. a big block too. Yes, picked up a big block. He said after the game that they practiced that uh, the. At the very end of Thursday's practice, they practice it every single week. They said they do it about half speed, or they do it about half Does speed to three-quarter speed. Well, again, they're doing it half speed, just so everybody knows where they're supposed to be. This is what the play is designed to do. Um, and you know, he said his job is to lateral and keep the play alive. And he said, I was looking the lateral, and no one was there. So I just kept running, and then he picks up the big block, and then all of a sudden it becomes a foot race. Um, my question is, and I did not get a chance to see a replay from like behind the end zone, so Gronk is back there to knock down a potential Hail Mary. Yes. They did not throw a Hail Mary. No. Why did it take him so long to get to that side of the field? Because the whole play was on that side of the field. Well, I think he was always on that side of the field, but he was kind of waiting back to be that last line defense, and then he took a really terrible route. Okay, that I mean, that's, that's the only explanation, is that he just took a horrible angle on the play. But if he's back there... You know, and he said, well, I didn't think it was going to get to me. Well, well, fair. At least be there. I mean, the whole play was on the sidelines. And Gronk, as you see him at the end, he's like sprinting towards the sidelines. And then he stumbles. And then Kenyon Drake outruns him. But if he didn't fall, why is he, he not over there? If he doesn't fall, does he knock him out? He might. Probably. I still don't understand why he was on the field. He's on the field to knock down a Hail Mary. But they weren't throwing a Hail Mary. Okay, well, that was a bad... Like, who would have who would have thought that Ryan Tannehill can throw the ball 70 yards? Nobody. That was a bad play, you know, a bad decision by Bill Belichick. But that's why he's on the field, right? You know, it's one of those, we'll heave it as far as we can, and you hope you get lucky. Um, you know, that, that LSU-Kentucky game that ended, I don't know, that was, what, 10 years ago oh, or whatever. They, after they dumped Gatorade on the Kentucky coach and then yeah. they lost? Yeah, and they, they didn't throw that to the end zone either. That was, uh, the guy caught it at, like, the five and ran it on in. He just, you know, throw it as far as you can. Maybe you get a pass interference, and then, you know, you're able to, um, you know, to, to, to win the game from there, you know, throw to the end zone from there. That's why he's on the field. Obviously, bad decision by Belichick that he's on the field. But, you know, again, looking back on it, and I've seen that play now, Ten times. I can't stop. Why watching is Gronk it? not near the sidelines? Was my question. I can't stop watching it. Uh, I'm I'm amazed by it. I, I cannot get enough of that play. See the Steelers almost won on a similar thing. Yes. 
Yeah. Uh, we had, uh, I think it was Pat who mentioned earlier in the show, uh, asking when the last time the Raiders got to the playoffs. They actually made it in 2016 as a wild no card. Idea. But the last time they won a game was the Super, Super Bowl, Bowl year, year that wow. you were talking about. That was the last wow. playoff win that is, uh, for the Raiders. What, else, what else do you have for us, Seth? Uh, Heisman Trophy this weekend. Uh, Kyler Murray pulling it out and, and not as close as people thought. People thought this would have been one of the closer Heisman votes uh, in recent history, and it uh, it was not. Still pretty close. Um I'm not shocked. I mean, you, you and I talked about this on Thursday, and it felt like he had all the momentum. And to me, and I, you know, I mentioned this on Thursday, it came down to you know when did people cast their ballots? And if they waited to cast their ballots until all the games were played, I felt like Kyler Murray was going to win. If they just you know assumed that it was you know to his Heisman to lose, um, and they just did it based on body of work and the the fact that Alabama was undefeated. Then, then Tua wins. But if if you waited to see all the games played, um, I felt like Kyler had all the momentum in the world, and, and he ends up winning it. Yeah, and and I think that look, I, I think Kyler Murray deserved it. I, don't I think get so me too. wrong. I, I think that he had a fantastic season, and and uh, he didn't have the help that Tua did. No, you know, he didn't have the players around him, uh, specifically defensively. You know, it's it's really amazing, and I think this is why it's really important to to hold off on these votes until everything's done and. And you know how the whole season shakes out. The fact that they got to the playoff with that sorry defense, that that Kyler Murray was able to put up enough points and and lead that offense to enough to get to the playoff, to get to twelve and one, uh, that in and of itself should have should have gotten him the the award. Now he has said that that he's playing baseball. He was drafted by the A's, uh, and he, you know he's a center fielder. He has said that that he's going to play baseball. Our producer Tommy Hogan popped in here uh, during the break and said, you know, would it be Smart for an NFL team to you know use maybe a seventh round draft pick and 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 take him and, and own his rights just for the heck of it, like what the Raiders did with Bo Jackson. Yeah, I say why not? Now, it's it's not likely that a guy at that position would be able to play both sports. I mean, it was one you know Bo Jackson did it, and you know he was you know an, an all time world class athlete. He's but, also a freak. But he, right, right, he's a freak athlete, but again, he was a running back. We're not talking about a quarterback. I don't know first of all if any team would allow it their quarterback to, to play two sports. I just I I also don't know how that would work. No, if he, um, if he was a running back, a wide receiver, a defensive back, you can make it You can happen. make it work. Um I don't know, think Deion, he could do that Deion, at the quarterback Deion position. Deion Sanders did it and played both at the same time. You know, Bo Jackson didn't go play football until baseball season was right. over. Deion Sanders like did both at the same time and was flying and helicoptering from one game to the other. Like you can make it, you can kind of sort of make it happen if you're not a quarterback. If you're I, a quarterback, yeah, I, I don't see think no you can do it at the quarterback position. But you know, d- will somebody take a chance on him? Probably. Probably. I mean, you know, why not? If, if the baseball thing doesn't work out, or if he has a change of heart, it, you know, at least you you own his rights. You know. What if Patrick Mahomes did the same thing? And what if what if he went and, and played baseball instead of football? I mean, look at look at the talent he is. By the way, you know, we spent so much time on that that Dolphins uh Patriots game for for good reason. Did you see that fourth down play he converted to to end up tying the oh, game? Goodness, I yes. mean, you know, on the up run to, to Tyreek. Yeah, did you on see the, the run, no look throwing pass? a forty yard dime? Have you I, seen the yes, no look pass? Yes, yet? the no look pass. I mean, you you just don't see that, don't do um, that. ever in, in the NFL. The things that this kid can do, but Again, that was a big time play. He's got two guys bearing down on him. He's, you know, he, he took a big shot on the run, forty yards right on the money to Tyree Kill, and they end up winning that game in overtime. What about the, that kid? Uh, is something special. What about the game winner to Amari Cooper in Dallas? Uh, I yeah. mean, this like Sunday was the best Sunday of of NFL Some football. Great this finishes. Year. It was, 
It was unbelievable. And then we got a dud in the, in the nightcap, which yeah. we thought was going to be great, and it, and it wasn't. Well, but, you and I said, you know, why why is this right. line? You had a we both I, had bad. I, weeks. I had a bad week. We both had bad weeks, but you had a worse week. Did I go one and four? You went over. I did go over. Yeah, I was afraid of that. I went one three and one. Yeah, not a good week. I knew that that Bears game was good. As I was picking the Rams, I said, there's a (laughs) reason that this line is whatever it was, four or whatever it was. I was sitting there all all day yesterday, and I was just like, the Bears are winning. The Bears are going to win. Yeah. I I knew it. And then when I saw there was like 25 degrees out, I was like, yeah, I should have picked the Bears. Um, We didn't get to Will Greer. He's not playing. He's not. You know what? We can wrap up the show with Will Greer. Uh, Look ahead to 2019 with Grossman saying more CPAs remain focused with today's business on helping clients prosper by providing comprehensive accounting, auditing, tax planning, and tax preparation services. Visit GSACPAs.com. Wrap up the show right after this on ESPN Radio.